most recently now, I tell people I'm a text Christian. Uh, I stay as close to the biblical text as I can. Um, There are traditions that are valuable, but they are not the text, and the text is, is what we are about. We have been doing a series on eschatology or the doctrine of the last things called the last days in the world to come. And uh, in that, I've covered a lot of things. We began with looking at the creation and its purpose, the world that was before the flood, the world that is now, and the covenant of Noah, and then the world that will be uh, after this one is destroyed by fire. Then we looked at the creation of man that being formed from the dust of the ground, the breath of God being placed in, that at death those two things are separated, and at the resurrection they are returned and the body is transformed into a new creation. We then looked at the various covenants of God, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with uh, through Moses, the one given to David, and then the new covenant that Jeremiah and Ezekiel talks about. We then looked at the kingdom of God in heaven and on earth. We looked at judgment and salvation and what uh, the judgment of our behavior is and what the judgment of the book of life is. Uh, We looked at heaven and hell, the three heavens. We looked at the several uh, concepts of hell that are found in the scriptures. Then we looked at the day of the Lord and the sign of his return with the falling away and the revelation of the man of sin. And we're finally to the, that kind of sequence. Uh, now, in, on the back of your bulletin, you will see a, a sequence. I'm going to do that after I talk about a few things. And that will give you something to take a look at. Uh, because one of the problems with biblical prophecy is the problem of the forest and the trees. Uh, most Bible teachers who do prophecy uh, know a lot about the trees. And they take a piece of this tree and a piece of that tree and a piece of this tree and a piece of that tree and they try to describe the forest. And they pull things out of context when they do that. Uh, I think you have to look at the forest first and get the broad outline down and then look at the details. uh, Because if you use the details of one verse to wag the dog of the entire prophecy, you will start compromising those other passages. And, um, and that is done a great deal uh, uh, in, in our time. So I suggested that we're given enough information to know the events, uh, but not enough to predict them in advance. Jesus said he doesn't know uh, when he's coming back. He said the angels don't know. That means the prophets who were given information by the angels don't know, and the apostles don't know. So reading all the biblical texts are not going to give us that detail. It's just going to give us a general idea. And so we need to be aware of that. So I want you to uh, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, a passage that you're very familiar with. We're going to look at the timing of of the return of the Lord. And um, I'm sure I'll step on some toes today, but that's what happens, right? Um, The subject of the second coming, usually uh, people are talking about that using certain buzzwords and biblical texts. One of those texts is the text that we're looking at, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brother, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who do not have hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Now when I first heard these verses, I was told of a fantastic thing that was going to happen. That when the Lord descended, and when there was the shout of the archangel, and the shofar and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ were raised, and we were caught up with them, that it was going to be this giant disappearing act, and then we'd all go up to heaven for a while. Then we'd come back. Now you won't see any of that in these verses. Those, that thing has to be placed into the mind of the person who's doing the reading. But once that's been placed in your mind, it's very hard to read this and not think that we're going to be caught up to heaven. You notice it doesn't say we're going to be caught up to heaven. It says we'll meet the Lord in the sky, which is the lowest heaven, the first heaven, the atmosphere. And it doesn't tell us where we're going from there. We could go to heaven. We could go to Barstow. We could go to San Diego. We could go to Jerusalem. But this verse doesn't tell us where we're going. And so that's how people build these doctrines. Very godly people build these doctrines without looking at the broader perspective of the whole of the scriptures. So we begin to get these terms that take on meaning of their own. The resurrection we know as the raising of the dead. But there is another verse that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians um, Chapter 2, uh, verse 1, where he says, Now we request, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. Now, is that the same thing that he talked about in 1 Corinthians, or is it not? It is. He talks about the coming of the Lord and our gathering together. The dead in Christ shall rise. We will be caught up. We're going to be gathered together. Gathered together in the air. There are people who will take this verse and make it a different event. And some will make it the same event. Because the word gathering uh, has a meaning in this text. And if you divorce it from all other text, then you won't get it. But Paul's a rabbi. He's a Pharisee. (laughs) And one of the most common words in all of the prophets is the gathering of Israel. And the gathering of Israel includes the resurrection of the dead and bringing them back into the land. Not taking them to heaven. And so, depending on how you want to interpret these things in the broader context of the forest or just isolating the trees you can come up with different perspectives. Now there is a word that we've all heard about this gathering called the rapture. The rapture is not found in any biblical text, 
But Paul says those who are alive will be caught up with them. The word caught up in the Latin version is the word for the root of the word rapture. To to catch something up. But caught up where? Into the sky with Jesus. Okay, Because Jesus will have come from heaven bringing with him those who have died. Got this odd thing that he brings them with him gets their body and then takes them back. Why not just bring their body back, right? So we have to think about this stuff. And then there is this period of the kingdom, the thousand years that we call the millennium. And then there is this event called the tribulation. So I want you to see a couple of verses for those two passages. The most common verse for the issue of the millennium is Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, it is basically just uh, 15 verses, so let me read it real quick, and you'll see what that is. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss, and the great chain in his hand. Now you know the abyss, we talked about that when we talked about the heavens and the sides of the abyss, where Tartarus is, and Hades, right? And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, bound him a thousand years. So here's that thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it up and sealed it on him so that he could deceive the nations no longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God. Those who had not worshipped the beast or his image had not received the mark on his forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were complete. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. He will come out to deceive the nations that are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the sea. They come up on the plain of the earth, surround the camp of the saints, the beloved city, which we know as Jerusalem. Fire comes down from heaven and devours them. The devil who has deceived them is thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night. Then he talks about the great white throne. And he says, heaven and earth passes away. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open called the book of life. The dead were judged out of the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in them. And death and Hades gave up the dead that are in them. That's a resurrection, by the way. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now you'll see this thousand year issue. Christ is reigning. There are those who are raised from the dead and will reign with him. Satan is bound during that thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, he causes another rebellion. And then this present heaven and earth is passed away by the fire. 
So that thousand year period is a significant prophecy issue. And we need to look at that. That thousand years is called the millennium from the word for thousand. Now, three positions regarding that thousand years are found in Bible teachings on prophecy. Those three positions are called amillennialism, postmillennialism, and premillennialism. Now, in case you don't know what odd does, you put A in front of a word, it usually negates it. So, a person who believes in God uh, is called a theist. But a person who does not believe in God is called an atheist, right? So, it's that same kind of idea. So, a person who does not believe in the millennium, in a thousand year reign, is called amillennial. Okay? A person who believes that Jesus is coming back before the millennium is called a premillennialist. And a person who believes that he's coming back at the end of the thousand years is called a postmillennialist. Right? So those terms, pretty easy to do. Amillennial, there is no uh, thousand year period. Premillennial, Jesus comes back before it. Postmillennial, Jesus comes back after it. Now, what do those people believe? Well, the amillennial position is the most commonly held position in church history. It is the view of the Eastern Church and the Western Church traditionally. It is the view of the Reformed Churches and the Protestant Churches in most cases. And it's even the traditional view of Baptists uh, up until recently. It is a view that is filled with replacement theology. The reason they deny the thousand years is they deny the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. And so what they do is, the thousand years represents a very long time when Christ will reign. He is reigning now in earth, I mean on, in heaven, and his kingdom is found on earth through the church. So the kingdom in heaven is, is where Christ is reigning, and the kingdom on earth is where Christ is reigning in the church. And someday, when this is over with, he will simply destroy uh, this earth and go into the new, uh, the new uh, creation. So there is no reason to believe that Israel will ever receive the promises that they were given because God is done with them. He is now working with the church and all of the promises of Abraham, all the promises of David, all the promises of Moses, all of the promises of the prophets now are transferred to the church who is the new Israel. It is classic replacement theology. And... It's false. There's no way to get around it. It's absolutely false. If God does not keep his word to Israel, Paul makes it clear we can't trust God either. So, amillennialism, which became a part of the early church, really the church fathers, was seen as 
Israel's gone. The temple's destroyed. All of that's done. Now God is going to create the new kingdom, and that's the way it is. Then there are two other positions. One is called postmillennialism. Postmillennialism is a view. Well, let me let me stop before I go to postmillennialism. Let me tell you why we can't accept the replacement theology. In Galatians chapter 3, a verse that is usually used uh, to show this, Paul says in verse 15, chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 15, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relationships. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is the Messiah. What I am saying is this, the law, the Torah, the covenant with Moses, which came 400 years, 430 years later, does not invalidate the covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. What, what the church said is everything that, that was given to Israel is given to Christ. No, everything that was promised to Abraham was given to the Messiah. And the Mosaic Covenant, 430 years later, doesn't break that. But the Mosaic Covenant that's established is not removed by the New Covenant. Or it violates this principle. The covenants all continue. And we'll see that uh, throughout the scriptures as we pay attention. Let me give you an example of that. Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33, verse 14, uh, talks about this thousand-year period that's going to be the restoration of the kingdom of Israel and the Davidic throne, which Jesus will sit on as the son of David. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, verse 14 of chapter 33. When I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. See anything about the church there? Anything about the nations? No. This is the house of Israel and the house of Judah. By the way, in in chapter 31, the new covenant is with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not with the nations. The new covenant is not with the nations. It's with Israel. But the gospel includes us in the kingdom to come. But the kingdom is with Israel and with Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth. We know him. And he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved. The Jews will be saved. And Jerusalem will dwell in safety. Anybody seen Jerusalem dwelling in safety? I haven't. 
not from the day it was destroyed in AD 70, nor from the time in 1948 when it became a nation again, has it dwelt in safety. This is future. And she will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Thus says the Lord, at that time David will never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Is there a monarchy over there in Israel right now? No, it's a democracy. This is not a fulfillment of prophecy. There's going to be a throne. It's going to be the Davidic line and Jesus is going to be on it. And the Levitical priest shall never lack for a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and prepare sacrifices continually. Wait a minute. There's going to be a temple and they're going to do sacrifices? Absolutely. Well, I thought Jesus got rid of all that. No, 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 no. Jesus made it so it can be brought into fullness, not to get rid of it. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night, so that day and night will not be at their appointed time. Whoa, what is that? Anybody remember? Huh? (coughs) What covenant is that? It's the covenant with Noah, right? From this time forward, day and night will not cease. Seasons will not cease. This present, when this would have to go away, he says, before my covenant can be broken with David my servant. That he will not have a son to reign on his throne and the Levitical priests as my ministers. So, I want you to look at verse 24. God says to Jeremiah, Have you not observed what this people have spoken? Saying, The two families which the Lord chose, He has rejected them. Thus they despise my people. No longer are they a nation in their sight. Now listen to what he's saying. There's going to be some people who are going to say, God's done with Israel. God's done with Judah. They're not a people. And who is it? For darn too long it's been the church. Amillennialism said, they're no longer the people, we're now the people of God. And God says, you hear what they're saying? Thus says the Lord, in my covenant for day and my covenant for night, the fixed patterns of heaven and earth that I have not established, then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and David my servant from taking his descendant rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. And Paul says in Romans chapter 11 that what's going to happen after this partial blindness of Israel is that all Israel is going to be saved. And they're not going to become Christians. They're going to become Torah observant Jews. Because that's what the promise said. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to write my commandments on your heart. And you will obey me in every detail perfectly. And my glory will be seen in you. You will be a light to the nations the way you were supposed to be. That's the new covenant. The new covenant is I'm done with Israel. I'm going to start out with the nations. And if you look at church history, that's not been going very well. So, replacement theology 
skews the way we look at biblical text. Now, what's the second group? The second group are called post-millennialists. These guys think what's going to happen is the gospel is going to go forth in the earth. And as the gospel goes forth in the earth, this nation is going to accept the Lord and become a Christian nation. And then this nation is going to receive the gospel and become a Christian nation. And this one is going to become a Christian nation. And this one is going to become a Christian nation. And pretty soon the nations of the world become the nations of our God. And then Jesus will step forth and say, I'm King of kings and Lord of lords. This view became very popular early in the church and, and reached an apex in the 1800s when Medicine was getting better. The modern missions was going on. Nations seemed to be turning to Christ. And everybody thought, well, it's going to be great. Then the 1900s came. And World War I happened. And the Depression and World War II. And people began to say, it doesn't look like the world's getting better and better because of the gospel. It looks like the world's getting worse and worse. So there are very few people, if any, who believe in that post-millennial view anymore. So, what's left? Well, there was a view very early in the church that believed that there was going to be a thousand-year kingdom restored to Israel. And they were premillennialists. And those premillennialists uh, believed that Israel was central to God's promise, a holy God, a holy land, a holy people, and that He was going to uh, bring Israel back in. The problem was something happened between those who believed in Jesus and those who, who were clinging to the Torah. Now let me tell you what happened. There, there was a split over several hundred years. There was a split in mindset between those who believed in Jesus and were believers who were Jewish, and therefore clung to the Torah. So they had the Torah and the Gospel, and they were caught in the middle between two groups. One group was a group of Jews who said, no, just the Torah, we don't want that. We don't want that Gospel. We don't believe that, Jesus. Just the Torah. And the other group were the Gentiles who said, we don't want that Torah, we just want the Gospels. And what you ended up with is a split. Gentile believers going this way, Jewish believers in Torah but not in Jesus pulling the other way, and those what we would now call Messianic Jews being pulled away from both their brethren. And by the 500s, they were almost disappearing from the earth. And in the 1800s, they began to show up again. Jewish believers who believed that the Torah was still their covenant with God and that the gospel was the good news of the restoration of the kingdom. And that's what the modern messianic movement is today. In the context of this, Israel became a nation again. And this fed the premillennial view of the kingdom being restored. A lot of people thought 1948 was uh, answer to prophecy as Israel was now the nation and within just a few years Jesus would come back. Well, it's been it's been 66 years 
since Israel became a nation. And things don't look good. Now there are four views of what has to happen before Jesus comes back. Four views of what we already looked at. Jesus said in Matthew 24, before he comes back, there will be a tribulation so great that it's worse than ever was before and ever will be again. In other words, take any bad time of history, the Holocaust, this will be worse than that. Take the the children of Israel in Egypt, this will be worse than that. It'll be the worst time of tribulation. And so, four views developed of how that's going to work. The first one is called past trib. Past tribulation. That group believes that the tribulation took place under the Roman Empire back in church history and so the tribulation is over. It already happened. Then there's a group that believes in a pre-tribulation rapture. They believe that before the tribulation happens we will all disappear, go up to be with God in heaven and Jesus in heaven uh, and then uh, Israel will catch hell here on earth by the Antichrist and then Jesus will come back visibly pre-tribulation. Then there are some people who think well we'll go through a little bit of the tribulation and then when the wrath of God finally pours out we'll disappear. So they still believe in a rapture kind of thing but, but there will be some trouble. And then there's a group called post-tribulation who believe that the church and Israel will be persecuted right up until the time that Jesus comes. And if Jesus doesn't come back quicker than scheduled, they won't won't survive. Jesus said that tribulation will be so great, those days will be cut short, because if they weren't cut short, no flesh would be saved. Now, So which one is which? Which one is correct? Now I would love to believe that someday I'll be just walking down the street you know, singing doo-wah, diddy, diddy, dum, diddy, doo and poof, we'll just disappear. I'd like that to be true. I have searched the scriptures all over. I can't find a word of that. Uh, The verses that are used are so out of context when you read the context that it just becomes laughable. So recently, people who hold to that view, scholars who hold to that view, have said the reason there are no verses is because it's a mystery. That's moving away from the text. Okay. So the rapture notion is the thing that gets in our way. If we think of the resurrection and the gathering, then it leaves us really with that post-tribulational perspective. So how would that look? Well, let me uh, bring you to the back of your bulletin. And I have gone through so many texts that I think most of these will ring in your ears as we talk about them. In the period when the temple of Solomon stood, Jeremiah and Isaiah begged Israel and Judah to stay true to God with the Torah. But they would not. And God said, if you don't keep my commandments, I will take you out of this land. And so Assyria 
took the northern tribe, Israel, and Israel went among the nations and has been dispersed among the nations to this present day. Then Judah, who was told specifically by the prophets, you saw what your sister did, and you're being twice the harlot, you're going to go into Babylon for 70 years. And so Nebuchadnezzar came along, and he removed Judah into captivity. And you know the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and all those guys. So what we have is, we now have very few of Israel in the land. And most of Israel dispersed among the nations. And Judah dispersed somewhat in the nations, but dominantly in Babylon. Then, under Ezra... Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, a group from Babylon, came back into the land. Not the whole. That wasn't a regathering. It was just a remnant brought back. And the scriptures talk about the remnant. And that remnant was there when in the fullness of time, Jesus was born, taught them, and remember what he did. He was teaching his disciples, but he wasn't teaching the rest of the people. He was teaching the rest of the people in parables. And his disciples said, why did you teach in parables? He says, I don't want them to know. Why? Because it's not time for the kingdom yet. It's for you to know. Because you're going to take the word out among the nations. So he dies, he's buried, he rises, and he ascends. And he tells them... I'm not restoring the kingdom now. You're going to proclaim my witness throughout the world. Why? Because that's where God's people are. They're, they're spread all over the world. And then he says, uh, this temple will be destroyed. So the temple is destroyed. Israel is dispersed, right? And now the disciples and the gospel begins to go back out into these nations. Not to make the nations Christian, but to tell Israel, if there are any Jews in this nation, the kingdom is about to be restored, return to God. And you Gentiles, you want to join, you can join. To the Jew first the gospel comes, and also the Gentile. Wait for the Lord, he's going to bring back. And he goes to each of the nations. This gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness. And then the end will come, Jesus said. Now, I've got two things there in, a, in italics. Because um, I believe that we're kind of in this context. But uh, it's hard to figure out exactly how it goes. In the 1800s, Jewish people began to read the New Testament and see that Jesus was the Messiah. They began to see that that blinder was coming off. And as that began to happen, more and more Jews began to become believers so that by the 1900s, there were more Jewish believers in Jesus than the second century or the third century. Something's going on. Just like the door closed on the Jews and open to the Gentiles to some extent. The time of the Gentiles may be closing and the gospel is... It's getting harder and harder to get Gentiles to accept the Lord. Got to have valet parking. You got to do everything for them. They don't want to follow the Lord. But there are Jews who say, I want to serve the Lord. But they see the Torah and the gospel coming together. 
The other thing that's happening is among those of us in the church, we're beginning to see the purpose of the unity of Jews and Christians in the church. Paul says the church is not the Gentiles. The church is the Jews and the Gentiles together in the Messiah. And that's not what we've been doing. And that's why we are Judeo-Christian and we align ourselves with the Messianic Jews. Now Israel returned as a nation in the promised land, which was needed, but it is not prophetic. And the reason for that is, at the time when the man of sin will be revealed, Paul says he will stand in the holy place showing that he is God, which means the temple has to be rebuilt. So Israel's back in the land. They're talking about rebuilding the temple. This is, But remember, Jesus said when the abomination of desolation takes place, then the Jews need to leave Jerusalem. So they're not back permanently. They're back just like the remnant so that there will be a presence so that the prophecies can be fulfilled. But it is not the fulfillment of the prophecies. We are seeing the beginning of the birth pangs, famines, earthquakes, false teachings. The Bible says in latter days, they'll, they'll follow doctrines of demons. They'll give up natural affection. They will be disobedient to parents. They're, all of the stuff that we see is going on. Jesus said it'll be like the days of Noah. Now if you go back and do the story of Noah... Noah and those of his family knew what was going on and they were preparing for the flood to come. But the rest of the world was eating and drinking and giving in marriage and just having a a regular old time, right? Until the day when Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and took them away. Didn't take the believers away, it took them away. One shall be in, two shall be in a bed, one will be taken. That one's taken in judgment, not to heaven. So that the other one can enter into the kingdom when the Lord returns. In the process of that, there will be a falling away of believers. Not real believers, but those who claim to be believers. Because as persecution goes on, man, people give up their profession of faith very easily. And then the man of sin will be revealed and Jesus said, then that great tribulation will happen. That will be cut short by the return of Jesus. Every eye shall see him. The resurrection of the dead in Christ and the regathering of all of us as we all go in the air to Jerusalem and he steps foot on the Mount of Olives and begins the kingdom He will destroy the cities, uh, the nations that are around uh, Israel. He will establish the kingdom and the promised land goes all the way to Baghdad. Satan will be bound a thousand years. The kingdom of God will be on earth and it will be almost as great as the new heaven, but not quite. There will still be death. But if a person's a hundred years old, people will think it was a child that died. Because the lifestyle, the life cycle, will go back to being about a thousand years, which is what it was before the flood. Then Satan will be released. The nations will rebel. Jesus will call down fire. And this heaven and this earth will pass away. There will be a great white throne judgment. 
And the book of life will be opened. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and a lake of fire for the saved and the lost. That's the sequence of events. Timing? I don't have a clue. Neither does anybody else. But the sequence of events is being misinterpreted by Bible prophecy teachers because they're looking at the trees and not the forest. And they get caught in these pre-trib, mid-trib kind of words. And they argue from those positions instead of looking at the biblical text. The key to all of this is Israel, not the church. Israel has always been God's time clock. And if you don't make Israel central to the covenants and promises of God, if you make Christ central outside of Israel, you, you divide these things and then you get the emphasis on the wrong syllable. So, we need to see the forest and from time to time take a closer look at the trees. This series was to give you a view of the forest. So, I think that's enough. Let's pray. Father.